This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to empower you to live a healthy and joyful life. Quick announcement, I've got three slots open in my exclusive laser coaching program in February. If you want to find out more about that and potentially sign up for a year of laser coaching, one-on-one sessions with me, unlimited for an entire year, you will be amazed at how low I can make the price due to very clever copying of other people who pioneered this system. You can go to plantyourself.com laser, that's L-A-S-E-R. Also, I'm hearing from a lot of clients and students about some difficulties over the last couple of weeks with kind of facing reality. Given the new political reality of our country, I'm hearing a lot of despair, grief, fear, hopelessness. So much so that I've decided to dedicate the February 2017 huddles to the concept of powerlessness and power. So if you feel like that would be helpful to you, this is an open invitation to anyone. You can join free for a month. And the way you do that is by going to plantyourself.com slash huddle. That's plantyourself.com slash H-U-D-D-L-E. And you will automatically be notified of the upcoming huddles in February 2017. Now, if you already are on my email list, nothing new will happen except that you'll be invited to the huddles and you'll get replay emails as well. But if you are not yet getting my emails, this will sign you up. So I've just rebranded the Wellness Weekly to the Big Change Bulldog from Plant Yourself because I like the sound of that and it's sort of alliterative. So you will start receiving roughly once a week, except when I get lazy, the Big Change Bulldog, which is changing its name in order to focus on what I have become incredibly passionate about, helping people make big changes in their lives, in their health, in their habits, in their outcomes. So again, all those goodies at plantyourself.com slash huddle. And now on to today's show. My guest today is Ellen Jaffe-Jones. She is a repeat guest. The first time I think we talked about her book, Uh, Kitchen Divided, which was about her being a vegan and a vegan activist and having a husband who was not. And out of that struggle came a gem of a book for other people who are in the same situation, which is a, a, a great way of looking at life. Like whatever problems you're having, you know, she was able to turn it into something that was useful for other people. So right on, Ellen. This time we're talking about her new book, Vegan Fitness for Mortals, and Ellen has been running for a long time, and she's been winning races for a long time, but now she wins practically every race because the people in her age group are slowing down, breaking down, and no longer competing. And partly that's because they aren't eating clean diets like Ellen is, and partly because they're not as smart as she is about training, about recovery, about injury prevention. Ellen is all about not hurting ourselves, not getting injured. Because, of course, when we are injured, we can't train. So she's all about sustainability, and she is a running coach. She's a health coach. She's a recipe developer and cooking instructor and all-around wonderful person. So without further ado, Ellen Jaffe-Jones, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. Well, thank you so much, Howard, for having me. You have a new book, Vegan Fitness for Mortals. I was just going through it and taking notes. 
And I'd love to talk to you about a lot of the the advice you give to people in the book. I'm fascinated by your choice of title. But first, it occurs to me that uh, for folks who haven't heard you on my podcast before or, or, or anywhere else that you've, you've told your story, you have, you have kind of a great story. And what I love about it is that it forces us to reexamine all our excuses as to why we can't do things. Because you, you have more excuses than the rest of us, and you didn't let them become excuses. Can you kind of give us you know, the, uh, the elevator pitch of your, your background and, and your sort of you know, superhero origin story? Yeah, well, I don't know about the superhero part, but thank you. Yeah, Vegan Fitness for Mortals is just two months old, and it's really been the book I've always wanted to write because um, I am the youngest in my family, saw my mom, aunt, and both sisters get breast cancer. We were part of the original breast cancer gene studies with Myriad Genetics, and of course, we all knew the gene was alive and well in our family. So I lived my life accordingly that I thought I did have, the, as if I did have the gene. And um, that's really how I discovered a plant-based diet was very helpful in preventing and reversing breast cancer and a whole bunch of other diseases, as many vegan doctors who are now on the lecture circuit will attest. Now, of course, we can't say cure, but I still remain today. Uh, the only adult female in my family without breast cancer, and as I sadly joke, as I, I, I often do when I talk, I may have come from the sickest family in America. And I almost died of a colon blockage when I was 28 years old, working in television news for 18 years. And when that was my wake-up call, because doctors said, you better do some things differently or you're going to end up like everybody else. And I was on track with heart, you know, to have heart disease. I had calcification of the arteries. So in in those days, this was like the the seventies and eighties. There 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 wasn't a lot of material out there. What, where did you go to try to figure out how to how to fix your health? Well, I started reading the early books of Dr. John McDougall and Neil Barnard, and because they were doctors, that really really impressed me. And also because as a television investigative reporter, I was used to. Um, fighting conventional wisdom and looking way outside the box for answers. And, you know, I'm not talking about quack science or medicine, but it was really important to um, look at their case studies and, and their experience. And it just seemed everything they wrote seemed to make so much sense. And they weren't being bought off by the pharmaceutical industry, which was even back then another pet peeve of mine. So um, really important to uh, look at this. And then I even had an OB who was getting familiar with some of the early work in a low fat diet and its effect on breast cancer. And so that's really what gave me the impetus, especially after I almost died of the colon blockage to look at some of these other doctors who had the guts and the courage to say enough, what we're doing doesn't fix the problem. It only treats the symptoms we have to get at the cause. Now, one of the things that really fascinated me about your story is that even after you experienced all these benefits, you you kind of went back after, I guess, it was like a New York Times article, like you, you still could have your faith questioned, your own experience questioned by something that looks like new, exciting, bright, shiny, objective science. Yes. And because... Because I was so terrified of getting breast cancer, because as the youngest in my family, I saw it up close and personal, and my aunt died of it in her home when I was five, so that had a very traumatic effect 
on me. And for me, the number one thing was don't get breast cancer. And then um, Gary Taubes and this New York Times article, was t it was titled, What If It Was a Big Fat Lie? And it extolled the virtues of the Atkins diet. And then Atkins himself was again on Larry King. And the Atkins diet was really enjoying a new rebirth of life. And, you know, I thought the science had truly changed. And what I would later recognize is that the science didn't change, only the marketing had. And that's really why I wrote Paleo Vegan, my third book, because paleo, as I started reading the meat-based paleo books, um, as National Geographic said a year after the publication of my book, the current meat-based paleo books are a stew of misconceptions. And it was Atkins all over again, repackaged. And I often joke the meat eaters just made it to their publishers first. So... <laughs> You know, I am really about, I have a radio show that I do called the Vegan Mythbusters, and that is really how I see my life, is putting it out there and showing people how you can run. I do all this crazy running, and um, I never got into running because I thought I was any good, and, you know, it's, it turns out I'm all right as a sprinter, but not so much as a medium or long distance runner. And we all have to find what we're good at and, and promote the message. I have three daughters, and the genetic odds are one in the four of us gets breast cancer. And so I really do view my life as an experiment to beat the odds. And I use my investigative reporting abilities, um, won two Emmys in the National Press Club Award while I did that in TV. But I use those skills to try and figure out the truth about food. And I believe I have. Mm, it's funny because, you know, we're we're kind of in this new age of fake news and uh -huh. all all of a sudden it's become you know a term people bandy about and it may have influenced the election and all this but like from your perspective we've been in an era of fake news for a long time oh that's so true hard i mean i you know i'm long quoted and i wrote in my first book eat vegan on four dollars a day when you understand there's no money in broccoli, then you understand why you have to be your own investigative reporter to figure out the truth. And I actually got that quote. I, I kind of paraphrased it using a different model, but um, I was a Lalechi League leader, breastfeeding information and support group. Again, because I was so incensed by what the formula, the, the artificial baby milk companies were doing to not only the U.S., but our entire um, global population convincing people that they needed to be drinking artificial baby milk when our own species milk is most appropriate for our species, as is the case with every other species out there. Mammalian milk in particular is very species specific. It's meant for our brains to grow appropriately, our bodies. And of course, cow's milk is meant to make a baby cow grow into a ginormous cow very quickly. And research even shows now baby tumors grow very quickly under the influence of cow's milk. So, yeah. Mm. And, and uh, I'm sure the fact that the big formula manufacturers are top sponsors of the American Pediatric Association is a complete coincidence and doesn't affect policy or, uh, or pronouncement, right? Yeah, right. And if you go on, this is a, you raise a great point why many vegan runners never do race for the cure because if you go on the Komen site, I don't know if this is still true, but I know it was up until about a year ago, the last time I checked it, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, supports that as a big sponsor, as is YoPlay, the yogurt company, the cow's milk yogurt company. So yeah, all these connections are out there and you do have to, as we used to say as reporters, follow the money. Right. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. Race for the cure with KFC is like, you know, kegger, kegger versus alcoholism, you know, the, ke- <laughs> the, the kegger versus, uh, drunk driving. Right. So, all right. So, so you, you, I mean, you had this, um, this family history, you write that, you know, your family was among the first studied by the, for the, the, uh, genetic, uh, BRCA genes that, for, that predisposed to breast cancer. You had a distended belly. You were made fun of as a kid. You weren't particularly interested in, in, in sports or running or fitness, but you kind of made this turnaround. I'm always curious because there's so many people whom I work with who are, who do succeed. And then there's a lot of people who don't. And I'm like, what do you think was your secret ingredient or your not so secret ingredient? What, what, what made you make the change and instead of just sort of floating along in, in the comfortable mainstream? I think the most powerful motivator, not only for myself, but many people out there is the visual. For me, the visual was my aunt screaming in pain from her breast cancer back in the early 1950s when, you know, we didn't, we didn't have the treatments that we do now or the drugs to sedate us as we die. Um, there was that. And then my sister, when she got breast cancer, seeing what she went through again, medical advances had progressed, but still the visual of her, uh, I don't know, because I was so sick as a kid and, and that's a whole nother story, but I always had my, both my parents were smokers and I had undiagnosed asthma and they treated it as chronic bronchitis. So I was on antibiotics big time. Uh, throughout my young life. And because I was so sick, it was tough for me to breathe. I was often nauseous. The biggest side effect of chemo was throwing up. And I just like had it in my head. I don't want to throw up. I don't want to throw up. Mm. So those motivators to be healthy, to not go there was as strong as anything that, that I could relate to. And, um, and, and I think a big thing why people if, if they don't succeed at veganism, if they got, or, or plant-based diet, if they got there because of health reasons, like me, you can always find other studies to support what you think is popular at the time. So if you get into it for animal rights reasons, um, I was just reading that the most popular diet on Google in Google searches for 2016 was vegan. And they attribute it to all of the videos that are now out there. Slaughterhouses do have glass walls. We are at the point where we don't want to pay somebody to do what we are not prepared to do. And when you see what goes on in these slaughterhouses and, and the way animals are treated on their way to slaughter, as the uh, wonderful folks at Toronto Pig Save have documented, you know, all of this stuff is so in our faces now. It's hard to stick your head in the sand and pretend that you don't see. Um, that said, I know there's there are tons of studies and lots of research now showing how healthy a vegan diet is. And certainly I have reaped the benefits of that in my whole running career. So I see it played out, especially the older I get. And I see these arthritic women who used to beat me like crazy 10, 12 years ago. They aren't running anymore because they've got arthritis in their knees and their feet. And vegans typically don't get arthritis, at least at that kind of a level. Mm. You, you, that's so interesting. You have this whole different perspective because, you know, you've, you before we uh, started recording, we were doing some video and I was I could see like the like hundreds of medals from races you've won. But you, you don't 
like represent yourself as a like a great competitive runner <laughs> right i mean you're pretty fast you're good at sprints but like the the longer you do this the better you get compared to everybody else who's who's dropping like flies from from chronic disease and injury yeah it's really incredible howard what i see in the racing community and people now are turning to me as a resource. Um, Southwest Florida Veg Fest is happening. I mean, all these Veg Fests around the country. Um, Dr. Campbell and Dr. Hans Deal are going to be the two main speakers. But they asked me to speak and not only do that, but they are organizing a 5K before the Veg Fest. So the three of us are going to be running um, that morning together. And I'm, 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 for me, that's like going to be the highlight of my life, being able to be at the start of a 5k with Dr. Campbell and Dr. Deal on either side of me. I, you know, just pinch me. I've gone to heaven, but, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I rank seventh in the U S in the 1500 meters four years ago at the national senior games, uh, 10th in the 400, uh, 16th and the 219th and the 100. And then the following year I got first in Florida and everything from the 50 meters to the 1500 meters that again, qualified me to go to nationals. They only do nationals every two years on the senior game circuit. Um, but vegetarian Summerfest was at the same time. So I didn't go. And then this past year, last year, I ranked first in Florida again in the 800 and 1500 and the four by one relays. So that allows me to go to nationals next summer in Birmingham, and that'll be the second time I go back. So, yeah, I'm pretty fast with sprinting, and to some extent that is genetic, but again, there's a lot of training that has to take you up to that level. I, I'm careful about bragging because I always feel like there's somebody faster, better, younger than me. Um, so I really didn't start in, I, I really started running so I could wear my vegan shirts to races. And, you know, now there are these, these uh, bacon 5Ks and bacon runs. And I actually stood next to the organizer of it at the last race I did. And I had my, my phone with me, so I took a picture of his shirt and I posted it on Facebook because a lot of runners are just incredulous that they actually have a bacon race. And I'm pretty sure the Pork Producers Council is, is funding it in some form or fashion because they're giving away free bacon and uh, pulled pork at these races where food like that never existed before at races. All right. Well, I've, I've started running, you know, this year and I, I, I listened to these conversations after the, you know, like a 10 mile race, which, which is, you know, it's a decent workout, but it's not like, you know, it's not such a big deal. And these, these people who have just finished the race and they're, and they're way ahead of me. Right. They've come in. They're talking at the food tent at the finish about how much they've earned, like how many of these donuts and cookies and 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 um, I think it was some sort of like, you know, Chick-fil-A tent. And yeah. they're like they're calculating how many calories they, they just, you know, enable themselves of this hedonic pleasure. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I love running. It's fun. But but like that experience of running 10 miles faster than I had run 10 miles before in the cold was kind of a pain. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. I'm in pain now. The last thing I'm going to do is throw that away. 
Right. And what you describe is so classic in the running community that is not vegan. Uh, because I coached high school girls cross country and track, and I was friends with the head coach. She, I, and I lost her as a friend. And many of the kids who worshipped her, because she posted a link, if you remember this, a couple of years ago, Time Magazine had a cover photo of a slab of butter and said, butter is back. Um, quoting some obscure, very tainted, according to Dr. McDougall, study on fats. And, um, you know, I won't get into the details of that, but suffice it to say, I jumped in on the thread and the picture was her also, she had a picture of her and some of her kids that she coached eating donuts at a local Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm going like, this is not an insurance policy. Running does not guarantee you're not going to get sick. I want to see you people at my age. And that's always what I'm just like screaming inside. Um, I sometimes joke, I win my age group and I do pretty often either win or place in my age group. I've done it 106 times now since 2006, just on plants. So that's about 10 years. Um, and you know, I win my age group just by showing up because so many people are falling by the wayside for all kinds of reasons. But I think, um, just based on what I hear that they've eaten all their lives, that their cholesterol is catching up with them in spite of running, um, cancer, grabs them in all different kinds of ways. Um, I even had a woman in my age group stop running because she got colon cancer. And I'm thinking like, ah, you know, I think it's so preventable. It could be anyway. Mm. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a big believer in talent or like, you know, we, again, the media, we could, we could, you and I could talk about the media all day, but you know, the kind of extreme stories and, you know, movies seem to present this idea of, like someone who's destined and fated for greatness and all the stars lined up and they're just, you know, we can't do that because they're so great. But and maybe there's a few, you know, Mozarts and, uh, and, and people like that out there. But for the rest of us, like within limits, our, our performance is entirely based on our preparation and our training. And it seems like, like we could, we could explain your success without any sort of you know, genetic advantage just by saying you're, uh, you're able to train better than anybody else because of the way you take care of yourself. You just, you, you recover faster and therefore you can accelerate the pace of training and you can improve more than anybody else. I think you really nailed it. And I make that point very uh, strongly in, in vegan fitness for mortals, because what I have often seen is that, um, the vegans don't get the inflammation, and um, I, I know a couple of my friends from Cleveland came down um, last year and ran the Sarasota half Music Half Marathon with me, and it was great fun. Coldest race I've ever done, ever, even in St. Louis, um, down in Sarasota. But, um, you know, we all were a little sore the day after, and by two days out, when really delayed onset muscle soreness, which is the condition that is is named for the how we feel 48 to 72 hours after intense um, exercise where our muscles just feel like they're going to fall apart. Um, you know, we just didn't experience it all that much. And certainly by 72 hours out, we were ready. We were running again. So that is often what I see in the, the vegan community and uh, on the vegan fitness panels I've been on. Uh, I've been on a fair number of them at different veg fests. And we all, all the athletes seem to be reporting that same um, 
benefit that we just don't have muscle soreness the way our meat eaters do. And, you know, you see these videos of people just hobbling around after a half marathon or a marathon, and it's just not happening. And, you know, I will be, it seems like I'm surging ahead at the end of a 5K, and I've heard people as I'm wearing my vegan shirt and I go, I go past them, they say, oh, there goes that vegan energy. I'm not really speeding up. They're just slowing down. <laughs> and uh, again, vegans seem to enjoy more energy. Is it because we're constantly carb loading? Perhaps. But I can't imagine doing a half marathon or a full marathon without a good ammo store of carbs. Um so, you know, the idea that I did the high-protein diets on it, you know, when, when I was seriously deranged, uh, as I like to say, most of us don't get here in a straight line. We have lots of zigzags, and it's important to believe the credible sources, the doctors. You know, we talk about this fake news thing. I know it's huge, um, and you just have to go with people. I've been doing this for 36 years. Yes, I've had some momentary lapses, but for the most part, it's been pretty consistent, especially in the last two decades. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's something to be said for you know looking at looking at people who have done this for a long time, which I mean, we we were discussing a little bit earlier like you know you've you have faced and are still facing a lot of glass ceilings in in your ability to get the message out, but there's you know if you look at like go to Barnes and Noble and look at their display of, you know, New Year's resolution books and fitness books. It's all like people in their twenties. <laughs> and I'm looking like, you know, anyone can look good in their twenties. <laughs> there's no skill. Right. There's no skill to that. But like people who are, who are looking good and performing, you know, in their sixties, seventies, eighties, and more and more beyond that. It's like, like, like there are some lessons for us. Yeah, and you know, because I worked in television for 18 years, I get it that the media is very youth-focused. They always will be. Those are the pictures that are going to look the best, the videos that are going to look the best. But you know, there is a video of Robert Cheek and I doing having a plank contest uh, a, more than a year ago at the Space Coast, uh, Cape Canaveral area, Cocoa Beach Veg Fest, and um, it was actually the, the morning of the Veg Fest, and I my personal record of holding a plank was six minutes and 10 seconds. And I went to three seconds longer to six thirteen. and Robert outlasted me by another couple minutes. But if you watch that video, the comments, and I'll just let the comments speak for themselves. He was kind of doing a downward dog. <laughs> and, um, so people said that I, I won on form, but anyway, the point is you, um, we have different ways of how we measure our levels of fitness and, uh, as I mentioned, I was always sick as a kid. I thought, I truly thought I was going to die because I couldn't breathe so many times. Um, I just can't begin to tell you how sick I was as a kid. And I just haven't experienced any of that since I've gone vegan. Because what happens is a lot of people, in addition to the secondhand smoke I'm sure I was getting from my parents, um, we consumed a lot of ice cream, a lot of milk. And even if you don't test lactose intolerant, you can still have a sensitivity to cow's milk. And for a lot of people, and this was true for me, it was like turning on a faucet and turning it off. And if I had as much as a slice of pizza the night before I did the morning anchor job in St. Louis, it was like somebody turned on this faucet of mucus flow in the back of my throat. And once I stopped playing with that kind of uh 
ridiculousness. It, it really was like um, I, I never look back because so many people do experience the the intense sinus drainage as a result of consuming cow's milk and never test positive for lactose intolerance. Now you you uh, proudly use the word vegan, and I, in the book you talk a little bit about why you do that. But I just want to make sure folks who don't know you understand like what you mean by a vegan diet because you have you list very specifically like what you eat and it's not, you know, so delicious and uh, not dogs and things like that. Yeah. And that's not to say I never eat those things. Um, but for the most part, I don't foods in their natural state, whole foods, plant-based. Uh, and if you, it's funny, I've kind of found this by accident. I Googled myself, I Googled plant, the words plant-based because I was writing about it for the book and um, much to my surprise, the first link at the time that showed up was me. It was an article in which I was quoted in 2011 talking about how when I was a cooking instructor for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicines, the Cancer Project, which is just an amazing organization, um, we were advised then to start kind of moving away from the word vegan and use the phrase plant-based to incorporate more people into, bring more people into the fold because vegan at the time was associated with militant, crazy animal rights nuts. And, um, <laughs> but now because I, you know, and, and I did, I, I went along with company policy and, and believe me, I think the plant-based movement and I participate in a lot of plant-based events, the 5k I mentioned earlier, I'm doing in the Fort Myers, uh, Naples area of Florida at the end of January is, um, it's called plant-based 5k. So, you know, to the extent that that, that whole thing really did work, um, trying to get people to look at this way of eating uh, is about the plants and not so much about the animals. But for many people, it is about the animals. And that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons I use the word vegan is because now if you Google plant-based, there are something like uh, 15 to 20 different diets out there that use those words. And some of them, many of them actually include meat in the diet, meaning plant-based means just, well, you, your heart's in the right place. You really mean to eat plants all the time, but uh, the majority of what you eat is plants and maybe there's some that isn't. The word vegan means not using, not eating, not exploiting an animal for any reason, period, end of discussion. So I, as a journalist, I try and be clear in how I use words and I just don't want um, there to be any wiggle room with, you know, how I eat and how I live my life or the best I can anyway. Right. It's interesting because, you know, I, I, I have come down very firmly on the plant-based side of, you know, of, of the different camps based largely on what, what are, you know, sort of really like insider baseball infighting. Right. About, exactly. About, you know, various things. Right. Um, but... You know, so so. Anyway, I want to I want to move on because I think I think folks of folks who care care too much, and and folks who don't care don't care. Right. Um, exactly. But so one of the things I'm very curious about, and I and I love, and you know, I don't want to talk too much about vegan fitness for mortals in in terms of like specific pages and things because it's just it's just a very useful practical guide to someone who's going to get started who says, you know, I kind of want to get fit. Like if someone just said to me, you know, I kind of want to get fit and they're already vegan or plant-based. Like I just say, okay, read this book. 
Like it's, it's, it's got everything you need. It'll take you step by step. So one, I'm, first of all, I'm curious, like in your mind, who did you write this book for? Well, what I was discovering and teaching cooking classes for six years for PCRM is that people lost incredible amounts of weight. I had a woman in my class lose 120 pounds in eight months, never counting a calorie, loving the food and the recipes designed by Neil Barnard and his whole uh, incredible organization. And um, unfortunately, she'd been diagnosed with multiple myeloma, one of the more fatal forms of bone cancer. And so she really couldn't exercise. But for many people who were discovering this newfound health and rejuvenated feelings of, uh, of joy about the way their bodies were looking, it's like, well, where do they start? Do they want to be, and you know, I can't tell you, if I had a nickel for every person who would come up to me and who has come up to me and, and said, uh, do you think I could run a marathon next year? And then I go like, well, have you ever run a 5K? <laughs> You know, you got to start with reasonable goals and expectations, because if you push too much, then you do end up with overuse injuries and um, you can have, you know, the best of your intentions um, sidetracked. So this book is really designed for the people who love to read about the Richard, uh, you know, Rich Rolls and and uh, Brendan Braziers of the world, but maybe an ultra marathon or a triathlon is not something they want to do in their immediate future. So where do they start? And again, I think having the training as I do as a personal trainer and as a running coach and, and the experience of doing that um, really allowed me to write a book that could kind of cater to people who are just starting off uh, or maybe want to try a different sport. I mean, I don't just talk about running in the book. I talk about yoga and weight training and, and swimming and biking and all the things that a good um, well-rounded person should be doing because the more you can mix it up, the less chance you have of getting injured. And for me, I have sections of each chapter called finish without injury. That is my goal now. And that is my goal for my clients because athletes get very cranky if they have to stop working out. And so to the extent that you can pull it back a little bit, um, tame in your inner athlete just to to make sure that you don't get injured, that's really, I think, should be our goal so that we can. There's, there is a book out there by Jeff Galloway called Run Till You're 100. I hate his nutrition advice, obviously, but um, his, his whole idea of the run-walk method has helped a lot of people get started very gradually so that they don't get injured. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm now training for a marathon using the run-walk method after not using it for the, for the 50K. <laughs> Right. Which was my first race. So oh, you, know, wow. you, you and I didn't talk. So I didn't start with a 5K. Oh, okay. I started with a 50K. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but, you know, and it's, I think it's particularly poignant for people for whom, like, fitness becomes this new tool, not just for health or weight loss, but for identity. And if someone's like, all of a sudden, like, they've never been an athlete They've never felt like they could accomplish something. And all of a sudden they see themselves starting to like do weird things, like get up at five in the morning to work out or, you know, prioritize, well, when am I going to eat? Because I don't want to be too full for my workout, like total mindset shifts. The fear of an injury is not just, okay, I'm going to be laid up for a couple of weeks and I'm going to go stir crazy. The fear of an injury for a lot of them is that will all end. It'll be like, you know, flowers for Algernon where I'm, I'm going to go back to everything I was before. 
Right. I think that's that's a good point. Um, I think, uh, you know, I do this. I often say that running and competing, racing is my form of activism because on any given race morning, I'll be exposing 300 to 3,000 people to the vegan message. And, the, the you know, I, I can't tell you how many people would come up to me as I'm wearing my really obnoxiously bright Eat Vegan on $4 a Day shirt. You know, they'll just saunter up to me and go, yeah, right, you can't run on a vegan diet. Or they'll look at the book title and go, how? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, when I saw that happening, I thought, you know, I, I really do want to just compete to show that vegans can do it, not necessarily come in first, although we can, um, but just to spread that word out there that it is more than possible. And the fear of not doing it is certainly one that is um, uh, important for us to look at, not to you know, scare us into not getting up at five in the morning. But you're right, you know, our lives do change as we realize how much better we feel. And that is also the thing that is so important to stress too that um, once you you get your diet under control, how um, you know how well, how good you were eating, um, then you know you're going to want to ramp it up to the next level. And I have a picture when I do my paleo vegan slideshow. I have a picture of myself holding up my arms with my biceps flexed, and the first picture is me in 2010 when I was training for a marathon. And there's not an ounce of fat on those biceps. And not that there is in the next picture, but the next one was when um, it was the year I competed in the National Senior Games. And I'm so much more muscular. Same weight, pretty much. Same diet. But the body just reshapes and adapts to whatever it is we are training for. And um, I think it doesn't take much. You know, I have an alarm set on my phone to do a plank every morning or every other morning. And just doing something simple like that, holding it for a minute, can do wonders to bring out those six-pack abs that we all have. Mm. Yeah, it's. I'm looking at the the heading of the book, so it does say, you know, walking, running, biking, swimming, weight training, yoga. And I think there's a way in which, especially beginners or people who don't have a training plan or a, a coach or a personal trainer can get overwhelmed with all the different options. It's like, like there's so many things to choose. I, I'm, you know, I have the paradox of choice and I don't choose anything. You know, what, what I did for, for getting into shape for my 50 K was I followed a 50 K training plan, which was all running. There was like no cross training, oh, no wow. yoga, no nothing else. Wow. And you know, it, I've, I've since, um, adapted cause it wasn't the best thing for me but it had the virtue of simplicity. Like I'd wake up in the morning, I'd look at my calendar and it would have a number at the very top. And that number was the number of miles I had to run that day. And there was no, there was no thinking, there was no arguing with the number. I, could, I either did it or I didn't. How do you help people be more you know, nuanced and, and smart about their training? Well, one of the best tips I have um, is to... First thing when you get out of bed in the morning, just do a check-in with your body from starting with your toes and just sort of consciously work your way up to your, you know, through your knees, your hips, your back, your shoulders, um, your neck. Because if you're not 
running correctly, and that's a very loosely defined phrase. That can mean having the right running shoes, the right orthotics, or not, or doing the right exercises so that you don't need to use a corrective shoes or orthotics, and that's a whole nother program we could do. Um, but just doing this check-in of any aches and pains you have. It used to be thought, you know, Jane Fonda probably popularized the phrase, uh, uh, feel the burn. Well, no, you really shouldn't be feeling a burn a lot of the time. Maybe once in a while as you reach through, uh, break through plateaus and, and reach a different threshold. Um, I remember when I was track training, uh, my lungs started burning when I was really going at my fastest. My coach said, that's normal. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> um, but, you know, other than that, generally speaking, um, you do have to listen and tune into your body because what starts as a little pain today might be a much bigger pain tomorrow. And some of us have very high pain thresholds. Um, I had natural childbirth three times and, you know, I didn't even know I was in labor the first time and it was just really a walk in the park more or less. Um, and, uh, that played out when I got a stress fracture of my third metatarsal arch cause I was into the barefoot running phase and I, that's the only injury I've ever had. And I really credit it to my own stupidity, um, because I thought I had read all the right books, talked to all the right people and was running on the beach. So it wasn't concrete. Um, but still when you have done anything, whether it's wearing shoes or orthotics for 30 or 40 years or all your life then you can't just make a transition in three or four months and think that's going to go well. So the same model applies to any kind of training program as well. And I've read a lot of books on senior running in particular, and some of the books are very clear about saying less is more. And I've really tried to adapt that. I used to run every day at least three miles, and now it's pretty much every other day. Um, and I want to make sure on the other day I'm doing cross training, like biking 10 miles or going to the gym, uh, doing the elliptical the personal trainer I'm working with now. And I love tapping into new sources of, uh, of, of, uh, enrichment. The trainer I'm working with now is my age. He was a Navy SEAL and he's got me doing 12 minutes on the elliptical where I'm pretty sure, again, I think I'm going to die. Um, but it's it's explosive interval training. And he claims that doing that much in 12 minutes can be as good as an hour of running. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's... I'm, I'm, I hear you about you shouldn't be feeling the burn all the time and you have to listen to your body. But I think for, for each of us, there is an error, a default error that we're more likely to make than the other side. So like you can, you can go overboard and hurt yourself. Or I think for most of us, and certainly in this culture, the default is to avoid any kind of discomfort. And I'm wondering how you, how you navigate that for yourself and how you teach your students and clients to navigate. Well, I, you're right. It is different for every person. And the way I encourage clients, and this has worked for myself as well, it's like when you're running a track, you're running the track, especially the shorter distances, and you feel like you've got to push to the ultimate limit. And yet you see this all the time at track meets where guys mostly do this, <laughs> where they cross the finish line or right as they're ready to cross the finish line, that's when they lose it and they fall and they're grabbing their hamstring or some other part of their body. And they, that's when they've overdone it. You want to go to the point right before that happens. Um, so how do you know? 
And all I can say is, you know. And to push the envelope as much as you can, however you define that, obviously in a track meet, it's going to come a lot faster than it does on a marathon. But the whole idea of taking walk breaks when you run, I think is critical. Now, Jeff Galloway claims he invented the run-walk method. I think our Paleolithic ancestors really invented that because when you're running long distances, your body just naturally wants to stop and um, at least take some rest breaks. And I think it's important. I think most marathoners I know do that um, unless they're really trying to break some incredible record. But I think, uh, and this is fairly reported with with the Galloway books and and the people who use his method, that um, you actually do, you can actually have faster times using that method um, than if you just try and run it uh, 100% of the time. So however you do it, I have lots of ideas in the book about how you do it, not only with running, but um, taking those breaks. And then as you progress in the book, I have figuring out whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced athlete. I remember uh, I was going to a podiatrist, and uh, he had a book of testimonials in his office that he showed me when I went. This was a long time ago. And, and uh, he had a section of the book called Athletes, and he had me in it. And I thought, what am I? What, what did you put me in here for? I'm not an athlete. And he looked at me like I was the crazy person. He said, of course you are. So it, a lot of it is just our own self-perception of um, – what we think we are capable of doing. And I think being an athlete, that title just means the way you do it maybe more than the average person. Um, and, and just kind of get out there and figure out what works for you. And if you do have a pain that stays with you during your workout, I think you really ought to listen to that. Um, and even if you don't feel it and you feel it later, um, just being able to address that and, and uh, I wouldn't say baby it along, but just give it proper attention and see what you, you think. Um, and I've, I've also had some great physical therapists in the, the various, uh, with various races that I've done, um, either at the race or just kind of keeping me tuned up as I prepare for whatever it is I'm doing and uh, good massage, stretching. I have an inversion table that I use every once in a while just because at my age, probably the, the thing that annoys me the most is my back. And, you know, that's also probably just from standing years on concrete doing cooking classes. So we have to pay attention to all of those things and make sure the parts are working with each other. And uh, I do dynamic warm-ups before I run, whether I'm just training or I'm doing a race. And I have all those listed in the book. There's Q there are QR codes that you can put your phone over so you can actually go to the YouTube video of me doing my exercises. Right. I thought that, that was that was helpful. I actually didn't didn't have my phone with me when I was reading it, but I I, I typed the the weird little URLs into Google and found your your channel. Cool. Um, yeah, it makes it makes a big difference. I mean, you know, you think about like fitness books from, you know, 20, 30 years ago where all you had was the static little photographs. And now like it's 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 so much easier for people to gain this knowledge. Thanks to uh, thanks to YouTube. Right. So I'm curious about how you look at competition, because obviously you have a lot of medals. You like you know, you said competition is your form of activism. Um, but when, when you're in a race, 
or when you're preparing for a race, what is what does competition do for you? What are the benefits, and what are maybe some of the the things to be careful of? Well, there's definitely an adrenaline rush, but I try to downplay that a lot. Um, I really do it, and it, when I first started competing, I almost got like teary-eyed and emotional at the start line because I would think of a relative who was either sick or dead, uh, or that my parents couldn't see me do this. But um, I, I think it was kind of a rededication of my life to something that would be better than their lives. Because my, my oldest sister, the one who hadn't had breast cancer yet, was morbidly obese. She had heart disease and diabetes starting in her early 20s, got it with gestational, got gestational diabetes in pregnancy and it never went away. Um, and she suffered so much of her life, had open heart surgery a couple times. And then she goes in for, I love this word, routine herniated disc surgery and ends up getting MRSA and flatlines on the table, goes into a coma and uh, became a quadriplegic for the rest of her six miserable years of life in a nursing home. That is not a way to enjoy the golden years. And I compete because I want to show people I want, you know, I, I have magnets all over my car. I call it the vegan mobile and I take it to races and I get there early so I can park it in a really obvious place where every single person coming into the parking lot of the race is going to see the vegan mobile. So each one of my books has a really loud and large obnoxious magnet that's plastered all over my Prius. And, um, you know, I sell books out of the trunk of my car. That's uh, not, you know, a lot at races because runners don't generally bring money. But the message, and now I'm getting invited to races to be a guest uh, kind of celebrity runner but also to have a table there because I will stay after the race with my little table of books and just basically talk to people about what I do and why it works so well. And again, not just my message, but the message of other fabulous vegan athletes out there who are finding that this is the best kept secret in America and maybe on the entire planet. We just have such energy and we feel so good and we're not getting injured for the most part. Um, so just don't tell anybody in my age group, okay? <laughs> oh, I, I, I bet if they caught on, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd use them to get even faster. You know, it's funny. I have done some races where I'll be wearing my obnoxiously bright vegan shirt and somebody will come up behind me and tap me on the shoulder and I'm going like, wait, is my shoe untied? And, you know, you're like, you're racing, you're running fast and they'll point to themselves like, and go, me too, like they're <laughs> vegan. And so and then we'll talk after the race. So I am seeing more of that. And I think we are making a difference as we do let the uh, secret out. Right. So w one of the themes of the book is really to listen to your body, right? You say the body always wins. Right. And you have some tips in there, like if you're a little concerned about your health, that you know, your fitness or your injury status at a moment, like do work out by yourself instead of being distracted by, you know, media or groups of people or friends. And I think... I, I have a suspicion, I don't know if we can prove this scientifically, but I have a suspicion that kind of that listen to your body, if we can do that exquisitely, like that's the only instruction we would need. Like you could write a book on, you know, health that says, listen to your body and everything else you say in that book, people could discover for themselves, including how to eat, including how to train, how to recover. You know, is that, is that kind of like the 
the master secret of, of is just sort of stripping away the layers of what society tells us and the, and the external thoughts that get interjected into our heads and just starting to have a relationship with this body of ours? I think that is so true um, in just a lot of different ways. I was reading out the, uh, the newest Apple Watch. Has, uh, I don't know if it's an app or you, it's just a setting on the watch. Um, I'll let you know in a couple of weeks when I get one. But um, it has a reminder to meditate every day. Um, and I think when, when I've done yoga on the beach, for example, there's nothing quite like that in terms of getting in touch with your body and feeling like you're a part of something way bigger than the grains of sand your body is resting on. But, but tuning into this consciousness uh, of what your body can and can't do is so important. And, you know, things may surprise you. For example, um, you know, you hear a lot about weight training, how that, um, you know, you'll burn more calories, the more muscle you have versus fat. And, um, there are no like target muscle groups that will make you lose weight. However, having stronger glutes, having stronger quads, thigh muscles, butt muscles that can help you run better. And, um, one of the things, if you watch Olympic or, or really elite athletes, their upper body is hardly moving when they run. It's all about the rate of turnover of their legs and the stride length they can accomplish. Um, so sometimes you do have to work out certain parts of the body, like having a strong core is just something I've really become to be such a huge believer in as I've progressed in my running. Because when you have a strong core, which means you have a strong back that supports the effort of running. And so you're not as sore necessarily, um, when you finish and, and you might be able to even run faster as a result. So it's not just the muscle memory that you, you develop training on the track, for example, too, with speed or interval workouts that can all help. But all of these parts, all these dots are connected. And, um, I know that sometimes like I've been at a restaurant and I suspect maybe there was something was cooked in butter and I didn't know it or dairy and I'll wake up the next morning and my joints are just, it feels like they're full of fluid and so, uh, stiff. And you know, that fortunately that hasn't happened very often, but when it does, and I think a lot of vegans uh, can relate to this, you know, like you ate something that just was not agreeing with you and, um, so and it, to answer your question, I think, yes, tuning in to all the different ways you feel. And then there's this whole psychological part of knowing that you're not either directly harming an animal. As best you know, you're not asking somebody else to do it for you. Um, there is a, a sense of exhilaration about that as well, um, that uh, you're no longer part of that machine and that at least as depressing as some of the videos are out there about what does go on, that you are not participating in it. And as far as being an activist, then spreading the word to help others reach that level of compassion and love for themselves as well as all sentient beings is, is really important. Well, yeah, in, in my experience, a lot of people are not open to the larger ethical questions until they start changing their diets and they start changing their diets for completely health-based reasons. We could say sort of self-interested reasons. 
And they have no, you know, they're, they're not the sort of person who thinks, well, I'm ever going to be an activist or I'm ever going to care about any of this stuff. I'm just, you know, trying to live my life, survive and not get these diseases or reverse them. But it's like once, once you eliminate the, the behavior that, you know, that PETA would criticize or that, you know, that like when you're, if you're eating meat and you go through Whole Foods and there's a bunch of protesters outside, you're going to feel attacked and marginalized and you're going to resist. But as soon as people start eating well, it's like those messages can come from inside. They don't, there's no, there's no need to resist. And it's like our, you know, our natural state is not to be this, this crazy psychopathic species of predators who has to like, you know, I think hunting like in paleo times was probably like a fine thing to do, but like to, like, hey, I have an idea. Let's take all the animals we used to hunt and let's like put them in prison and torture them and we can take them anytime we want. Like, that's fucking sick, you know? And and people who who begin to get in tune with what who they are as animals. Like, okay, I'm an animal and I'm gonna eat my natural diet and I'm gonna move my natural way, suddenly can have the 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 luxury of feeling empathy and compassion for other animals. You know, there's a, there's a Facebook page called Mothers Against Dairy. And I remember, I'm not sure at what point uh, my brain made the connection, but probably when I saw the first video years ago of a calf being ripped away from his mother on day one because it would either be sold for veal or they had to forcibly impregnate uh, or as the factory farm business uh, uses its own expression for the device, use a rape rack to artificially inseminate uh, the cow again, um, shortening her life to maybe six years when she could have lived 20, for example. Um, but, you know, this idea that the screaming that you hear in these videos, and there are plenty of them out there now, of when the babies are ripped away from mama on day one, as a breastfeeding mother, when I saw that, I go, holy guacamole, how would humans feel if their babies were torn from their breasts on day one, never to be seen again? I mean, what an outrage. You know, we would have just the force of God after the, the people responsible for this, but we don't think that cows have any similar feelings or consciousness. You know, there's a lot being written now and, and, and studies being shown. I know Jonathan Balcom has done some fabulous work with fish um, and his research, knowing that if fish can pick themselves out in a mirror, distinguish themselves from other fish. They work in groups. Uh, they feel pain. I mean, we are learning so much, uh, in part because of the fabulous technology out there now. So it becomes, I think, very increasingly difficult for a thinking, feeling human being who calls themselves religious or compassionate to be able to put, you know, wrap their head around what is going on out there. So um, I think as more and more of us start connecting these dots, however we got to veganism or plant-based eating, um, it's all good. And... Uh, I think the larger our movement, for lack of a better word, becomes, there will be differing opinions of what we should name something, um, how we should call it, uh, how we should do it. But it's all about not eating, exploiting animals. Right. End of discussion. <laughs> and there's a, there's a really interesting um, 
if you look at the, sort of the history, um, and I got this from a book called uh, On Looking by John Berger. He has a chapter called Why Look at Animals. And he looks at sort of the history of how humans have viewed animals because they're, they're the only things in the universe that are sentient but alien to us. Like we really have no idea what it's like to be an ox or a camel or a kangaroo or a dog or a cat. Like there's, there's this chasm that we just can't cross. And so the, the way humans have thought about animals, is he says that like roughly every, a century after humans develop a new way of looking at animals, that's how they treat other humans. Like, you know, animals become like these, these you know, draft animals to, to farm. And then they become sort of machinery of, of uh, you know, then, then, and then they become units of consumption. He says, whatever happens to the animals, Within a hundred years, that'll happen to most people too. Like we we don't we don't exempt ourselves from from this objectification and exploitation. It just it just happens a little bit slower, and and it only happens to the majority of us. Yeah, I think you know that whole idea of walk a mile in my shoes, put yourself in another person's shoes. All of that plays into. Um, what is it we should be doing? How do our lives make a difference, really? Mm. That's 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 a scary question. That you know that it, it, it trips off the tongue, but it's a it's a scary thing for most of us to ask when we suspect that our, whatever our role is, that we're not making either much of a difference or as much of a difference as we could. Like that that kind of asks us, like, what's our potential? Right. And I think the more I do this, and I do hear from people, thankfully, on a fairly regular basis, that I, I help them go vegan or help them understand this, that, the other thing. And and uh, that really isn't why I started doing this. I just, it was probably pretty selfish for my own health reasons and the health of my three daughters. And, um, you know, part of that, maybe I was, it was more of a uh, a burning desire in me because I came through a divorce from hell. And the first thing my ex did when I moved out was mow down the organic garden and food was always a battleground for us. And I knew that I couldn't ever really directly talk to my daughters, that they would have to see through my example that I was way, way different than anybody they knew growing up, growing up uh, in terms of health. And especially on my side of the family, which was, you know, my, my kids got dragged to their share of funerals. And so I just wanted them to know that life could be very different. And, you know, we all have kind of these uh, inner pains, like I just described, and, and they, they make us become stronger, you know. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, yesterday I was listening to uh, Rich Roll podcast, his interview with Dave Goggins, the, the former you know, Navy SEAL who, who famously has broken every bit of every piece of advice you've ever given about training sustainably. Like his first race was like a hundred miles and he was running the last 70 with broken feet. And yeah, you know, well, that, that sounds fun. That's kind of his thing. You yeah. know, it, it works for him. Based yeah. On you know, again, Howard, I just have to interrupt and say, where is he going to be at my age? Um, you know, I, I, I know people like, especially guys, you know, they just want to show off, um, really big time. And I believe me, I've seen my share. Are, are we that obvious? Um, I'm afraid so. 
I'm afraid so. Uh, without identifying the person, I, I don't know if I should tell this story or not because it's really kind of personal. But um, I was visiting a friend who had not ice skated in 20 years. And this person was Olympic quality in another sport. Just a real hot dog from, if, I guess I shouldn't use that, a vegan hot dog from the get-go. And so we went ice skating and, and in two hours he was doing triple Lutzes and all kinds of things. And kids, little kids were coming up to him and saying, oh, you're awesome. And with 10 minutes to go, he does one of these triple axles or whatever it was and lands on his wrist and breaks it. And, um, you know, it's just everybody who knew the situation said, yeah, you were totally showing off. So, you know, I, that's probably the funniest example I have of, um, you know, I don't hear too many women getting caught doing things like that. It's not that we don't, but it's like maybe because we're, we're biologically programmed, like it or not, to kind of look after our young, you know, our hearing is better so we can hear a baby next to us whimpering during the night. Uh, in fact, when I was breastfeeding, my babies never cried so much so that somebody wrote a cover story in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about wearing your baby in style because I always carried my babies around with me and they, they didn't cry. So, um, you know, we are tuned in to this sort of sixth sense of, of uh, certainly our babies, but I think other people as well. And, you know, to the extent uh, that we are different, it's all good. And sometimes it's there are funny stories like that out there. Right. Well, where, where I was going with Dave Goggins, um, which, I, you know, I, I don't think that most of us should uh, should push our bodies to the absolute limit beyond what we think is possible in dangerous ways. But one thing he said, you know, when you're talking about, you know, how can we make a difference? And like, to, you know, it was just when you said those words to me, it felt like a little bit of a challenge. Like, where am I being too comfortable? And so when I'm old and I don't have much time left, am I going to look back and say, boy, you know, why didn't I do more? And one, one thing that Dave says is, and this reminds me of you like driving early to your races to get the best spot, to show everybody the vegan mobile, to run with these brightly colored shirts so that you're kind of doing ministry and testimony to, to this lifestyle is that you, it seems like there's no room in your life for motivation because you have purpose. And that's, that's the thing that he's, that Dave Goggins said that really stuck with me. He says that, you know, what we're trying to do is not to like figure out how to motivate ourselves but how to tap into the real purpose. Like, why are we here on this earth? And when we have that, then everything else just becomes the next thing we do. Yeah, I think that's true. And part of that is just um, probably my family model growing up. Again, being the youngest, without going into any details of my extended family, I had, a, I had a, some very great role models who felt like, Every morning you should get up and and uh, do your passion and 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 I've always said that to my kids: do your passion, the money will come. And uh, my oldest daughter, who was a national merit semifinalist, who could have done anything she wanted, uh, when she chose art in high school, I thought to myself, well, maybe that wasn't such great advice. Um, but of course, I didn't say anything and just supported her work and um, helped pay for her college education, which eventually took her to London, and she is now the main artist for BuzzFeed in uh. London <laughs> and is happier than all get out just doing her passion. And 
Um, so I think it does, uh, you know, to the extent we can find a way to uh, support ourselves in a way that um, at least we have food on the table and then everything else is just extra, I guess. But yeah, I, I've seen a lot of, especially I worked as a financial consultant, aka stockbroker at Smith Barney in a field that was pretty much men. And um, I really saw a lot of people who had a lot of money, but who weren't necessarily happy. And money can't buy happiness. It can help a lot, but um, for everything else, there's veganism, right? <laughs> and and uh, athleticism. It's all good. Right. I mean, I see them both as, you know, eat, eating a, a proper human diet and engaging in proper human movement. It's, you know, it's, it's like what... How, how do you be an authentic person in a culture that just wants you to be a consumer? These are, these are the ways in which we, we can most s simply, actively, and joyfully subvert the, the script we've been given. Exactly. And, you know, the focus of my first book was money because I always felt like if you could show people how much money you save going vegan, then we'll have even more people coming to the vegan table. But it's not only the money you save at the store. It's the money and heartache and grief you save by avoiding doctors and disease. And because I grew up in hospitals and I saw that up close and personal in a big way that most people don't, um, I knew that wasn't a life I ever wanted for myself and I was going to do everything I could to make sure it was different for myself and for my children and their generation, hopefully. Right. Well, the, the times they are a changing. Right? Indeed. Well, Ellen, the book is called Vegan Fitness for Mortals. It is, I mean, I'm just paging through, you've got bunions, hips, IT band syndrome, weight training, standing hammer curls, how to eat. You have a great section on your fave breakfast, snacks, lunches, dinners, smoothies that you know, I think a person could just live on those four pages and be, be perfectly content and healthy. It's a, it's a great compendium. So if you know someone who is, you know, veg curious or vegan, plant-based, who wants to start incorporating, um, you know, athleticism in a sustainable way. This this is the book. And uh, thank you so much for all you do and for taking the time on the podcast today. I appreciate that, Howard. And just um, if people do want to reach me, my website is vegcoach.com. I have lots of pages on Facebook that I admin, including a vegan runner's page, which is probably my most active at, at the moment. People post their races so they can uh, use their bragging rights there. And um, any question that I can help people with individually, um, certainly feel free to PM me and I will give the best of my experience. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've, I forgot to mention, I'll be, I'll be sharing links to what, whatever you send me, whatever links you want me to share with people, how they can get in touch with you um, at, in the show notes for this podcast. I don't know the number or the URL yet, but if you go to plantyourself.com and search for Ellen, E-L-L-E-N, there's two with you. I don't I can't remember if offhand there's other other Ellen's on the show yet. But, uh, <laughs> it, it certainly won't be hard to find. This uh, I, I appreciate that. Another resource, in fact, uh, as soon as I get through with you here, I'm getting ready for, I do Facebook Lives every Wednesday, 3 Eastern time, doing a few recipes from my book. In the whole month of January, I'm going to be focusing on weight loss and improving your fitness. 
Awesome. I have not done a Facebook Live yet, but I think it might be my next market frontier. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. Well, uh, you know, again, you're blazing the trail for the rest of us. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. <laughs> All right, Ellen. Thank you so much. Be well. You too. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Remember to grab that free month of huddles at plantyourself.com slash huddle. If you're interested in joining the Big Change Program later this spring, you can visit bigchangeprogram.com and click a blue button to sign up for a free test drive. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 194. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 193 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. If you get the podcast, but not the weekly email newsletter, now the Big Change Bulldog, get thee over to plantyourself.com and sign thyself up. I include links to original articles and I share recent episodes of the podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Exercise. Exercise, it's what you can do when you're feeling blue. It's what you can do to lose weight. It's what you can do to improve your brain. So get out there and exercise today. And a big thanks to the regulars, the Plant Yourself Podcast patrons, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak for your generous support of the podcast. And thanks also to Will Radenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And if you don't know how to spell that, you can get to the show notes of any episode, and he's there. If you would like to support the show, you can share this on other episodes on social media and via email, and you can write a review on iTunes. I'm so excited to share this week's new review with you. It says, love this healthy podcast. Howard is humble, smart, and a great interviewer. I look forward to his podcast every week. Enjoy. That's beautiful. And what makes it even more special, it is by Colleen Patrick Goudreau, who is one of the longtime committed luminaries to the vegan movement. So, um, Colleen, I used to be humble, but after your review, I no longer am. Thank you so much. You can also become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or an ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. Those monthlies really help. They, they help me know that there's money coming in every month to devote to this. I don't have to scramble, and I get to improve the audio quality, spend time preparing, finding guests, and spreading the word. In garden news, the kale is more delicious than it has ever been. Something about that killing frost that didn't kill it really sweetened it up. We got a whole bunch of new kale in the ground because it's been kind of warm and rainy for the past few weeks. And I believe my wife went out into the backyard the other day and put in some teeny little onions. So here's, here's looking at you bulbs in a few months. In running news, a couple of weekends ago, I did a 20-mile run, and I was afraid to face my own mind for that long, so I took along uh, a bunch of podcasts from the Rich Roll podcast. And the first one I listened to was an interview with Wim Hof, who's known as the Iceman for his incredible feats of withstanding cold and his uh, evidence-based approach to helping people improve their health and reverse 
really severe diseases, take control of their immune system, their nervous system, and their endocrine system using the power of cold exposure. So this week, two days uh, in a row, I ran shirtless. And it was cold. It was very cold. One of the days it was raining, but it wasn't terrible. It wasn't unbearable. And I'm very proud of myself. And so if you are driving through Pittsburgh, North Carolina on cold mornings and you see someone running bare-chested, that's probably me. So please don't swerve in my direction. That's it for this week. So as always, be well, my friends.